Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Yes, we had uh, a great week this past week at Vacation Bible School. We had uh, almost 200 young people that came, and we had uh, over 60 volunteers who helped out in different ways. I know you're a little bummed out. We lost, if uh, you weren't here last week, we had a little bit of a southwestern Monument Valley theme, and uh, that's gone. It took days to put up and about 30 minutes with a good crew to tear down. So uh, unfortunately, you missed the cacti and all those other things that we had here last week. But we are so grateful for all who volunteered and helped with VBS this past week, and it was exciting to see God at work in the lives and hearts of young people. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing this morning. Father, as we come before you, may we be encouraged in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to recognize the importance of what you have called us to do. Lord, help us to see the urgency, and Lord, to follow your instruction. May nothing distract us from the principles of your word, and may they be principles which we don't just learn, but Lord, we put into our lives and act upon. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing in 1 Peter chapter 4. This morning, looking at verses 7 through 11, and this morning I'd like you to read with me as we read these verses. Let's stand together, and I will read God's Word together. It'll be up on the screen as we look at 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Read with me. But the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. We see here Peter is sharing with a group of people who are facing intense persecution. We've been talking about that. How do they respond to that? But also recognizing the urgency of what they're called to do. And we see in these verses that that Peter wants them as well as us to recognize the importance and the urgency of what we are called to be and do as his followers. The urgency. The first part of verse 7 says this, but the end of all things is at hand. Now this week has been an interesting week, interesting week in our nation. And, uh, you know, we've seen the ups and downs of what is taking place in our world. When I look at Psalm 139, that, that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, knit in my mother's womb, I can rejoice in the decision that was made but in, in our Supreme Court. But there's things in our world that we each look at and say, there is chaos going on. 
And what takes place is, is we begin to say, I wonder when, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I wonder when the end times is going to take place. We see human sinfulness. And we look at what's taking place and we say, Jesus Christ must be coming soon. But you know, in the first century, Peter wondered the same thing. This was penned almost 2,000 years ago. And Peter said, the end of all things is at hand. We use the term last days. And biblically, last days, if you would look at it from a biblical perspective, refers to the time between Jesus' first and second coming. It's an unknown period of time, but it's also a reminder that we don't know how much time we have left. I think, I think many times people fall into a dangerous task, and they, that is they try to, try to look at what's taking place and in concrete put it and say, well, this means that this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And we've seen people that have gone up on a mountain because they knew Jesus Christ was coming back at a certain day and a certain time. We've seen others that have said, well, obviously so-and-so is the Antichrist. And by the way, uh, a couple things, and I'll just throw this out. We have a tendency to, to look at end times from an American-centric viewpoint. I hate to tell you this, the United States of America, although I love being an American, I'm honored to be an American, it is not the center of end times. But then we look at it and we say, and you can go on the internet, it's amazing. You Type in the internet, well don't do it, but you could type in the internet, who is the Antichrist? It's amazing. Republicans, Democrats, there's several people that will be listed. Who is the Antichrist? And, and oftentimes we can fall into that danger of saying, well, this has got to be what's taking place. There are some things that we don't know about the last days and end times. There's people a lot smarter than I am that, that have a different view on the order of end time events. My mother-in-law used to always say she was a pan-tribulationalist. Now, if you're not too familiar with it, we're not going to try to go too much into the weeds here. Some people believe that, that Jesus Christ, is that the rapture is going to take place before the tribulation. Others say in the middle of the tribulation. Others say in the end tribulation. She's a pan-tribulationist. She says it'll all pan out in the end. <laughs> now, I have reasons, and I believe biblical reasons to say why I believe the way I believe, but there are things that we can't say 100% for sure. Now, there are some things we can. Don't get me wrong. But oftentimes, we get, we get caught up into it, and, and uh, we get just crazy ideas, and we can go way off the path. But there's some things that are very important for us to understand, and Peter reminds us of those, the urgency of what we're called to do. We like the term tomorrow, don't we? Yeah, I'll do that tomorrow. Now, unfortunately for me, yesterday I said, I'm going to mow my lawn tomorrow. So... 
this afternoon I may be mowing my lawn or maybe I'll do it tomorrow. Well, I probably should go to work tomorrow, but uh, anyway, we'll, we'll figure it out. Sometime my lawn will get mowed or I'll just buy a couple goats. We'll try to figure out what is better. But we like to say tomorrow and, and we say, well, you know, I'll get to that later. And Peter here is saying, listen, you don't know the time that you have left. You don't know your number of tomorrows. Both as an individual, our life could end at any time. And also, as Jesus Christ brings in the end time events, we don't know how much time we have. And Peter is saying, listen, there's an urgency here. If you were asked, or you were, said, you were told, you have 24 hours to live, what would those 24 hours be filled with? What would your calendar look like? I know in my life, it, it probably wouldn't involve mowing the grass, so I can save that one. But there are some things that, that may be on my schedule that probably wouldn't become that important. And there's some other things that I've been putting off that I would say, I need to do that. The urgency. And we need to recognize that there is an urgency. And Peter is challenging us with the urgency. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore... He shares wisdom on things that we should have as central parts of our life and our being because we have an urgency. And we see three things he mentions in these verses. He lays it out very, very, in a very organized fashion. What should we do recognizing the end of all things is at hand? The end of verse 7, we're to pray. It says, therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. He used terms that we translate serious and watchful in the New King James. Other versions will have different words, but similar. But serious, that word in the Greek means sound judgment. To have a proper view of ourselves, our circumstances. We can't be carried away by our passions. We need to be wise in the decisions that we make. In that term watchful, spiritually observant, we're not to be caught off guard. We need to be aware and awake. And think about Peter as he penned these words. His mind had to have gone back to a time where he heard Jesus say a similar statement to him. And that was on the night of the Last Supper. If you remember the story, it's near the end of each of the Gospels. The story is told how they had that Last Supper. They gathered together in the upper room. They were celebrating Passover as Jewish people, but Jesus was pointing to the true Lamb, the Lamb of God. But after the Last Supper, then they went out to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus had uh, some of the disciples wait, and then he took Peter, James, and John a little further with him, and then he even went himself a little further to pray. And he said, watch and pray. But as he went off to pray, he came back and they were sleeping, and so he woke them up and said, can you not be vigilant, stay awake, 
pray. Went off again, it happened again the third time, and then Judas and soldiers came to arrest Jesus and the disciples fled. And so as Peter was writing these words, he had to think of what took place 30-some years or so before when he was not watchful and praying. Watch and pray. We need to recognize the importance and the foundation of prayer. It needs to be central in who we are as Christ followers. And then in verse 8 and 9, he talks about love and loving fervently. Verse 8 begins, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Peter begins this command, Above all things, showing the utmost importance of love. If you've been to many weddings, I'm sure you have heard in a wedding, 1 Corinthians 13. It's called the love chapter. And in the middle section of it, it lists these characteristics of love. And oftentimes, as a couple is standing there at the, at the wedding altar, standing, uh, committing their lives to each other, the, the pastor will say these words, what love should look like. But chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians 13 begins with a, a very interesting statement. It says, so if I can speak like angels and do all these amazing things but have not love, it's worthless. And then in the end of the chapter, it's only 13 verses long, the final verse of the chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says this, and now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Think about what the Apostle Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians, was saying. The utmost importance of love. You look at faith and hope. Pretty important. And he's not saying, he's not diminishing the importance of those, but he's helping us recognize the centrality of love. We are to love. It should be what we are known for. Peter here tells us in 1 Peter 4 that we're to love fervently. The term translated fervently was used for a, a runner stretching for the finish line or a ho horse that's, that's running all out. Fervently loving. And then in, in verses 8 and 9 here, he, he describes two aspects of love. The first one is that love overlooks hurts. Proverbs 12.10 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sin. Here in 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, Love will cover a multitude of sins. You see, true love doesn't air dirty laundry. Boy, how easy it is, though, in the midst of a, a fight, if you're, if you're married and, and you feel that your spouse has disrespected you, has not loved you, has been cruel to you, and you want to let the whole world know the horrible things that they did. That's not what love should look like. Instead, love needs to be forgiving. But what's the issue 
and we all struggle with it. What's the issue? We have a misunderstanding of love. You see, we, we look at love as something, okay, I'm going to give as long as I get. If, uh, and I know Jezer does the same thing, if we do premarital counseling, you're going to hear the difference between a contract and a covenant. A contract, party A does these things and party B does these things. If either party breaks their part of the contract, the other one is free to escape. But that's not what love is about. Love is a covenant. I'm committing to do this. I'm committing to love. And in a marriage, when, when that is recognized, it completely changes what the marriage looks like. Are there still difficult times? Absolutely. But if my wife is struggling, my love should not change my actions. She, one of the few times, is cruel to me. I respond with grace. But it's hard when we look at it saying, well, what am I getting out of this? See, love is giving. In God's view, love is the same word that Peter uses here in 1 Peter 4. It's a word that you're familiar with. Agape. Unconditional love. God love. And my love is not based upon the actions of the person I'm called to love. My love is based upon God's love toward me. And let's think about what God's love toward me looks like. Is it deserved? No. And His love never changes when I'm striving to follow him or when I'm not when I'm representing his family well or when I am not his love is not affected by the actions that I take and because of God's love toward me I am to love others and that love is not based upon their actions. It's based upon God's love for me. Unconditional. And so Jesus, while he was here on earth, made some, some pretty radical claims. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> I like myself a lot. I want the best for me. I need to love my neighbor like I love myself. But then he says something really crazy. He says that we're to love our enemies. That person that has hurt me, that person who has mistreated me, that person who has talked poorly about me, I need to love them as God loves me. 
And so this love will radically affect my relationships. It will affect my relationships within my family. It will affect my relationships in the workplace. It will affect my relationships in my neighborhood. It will affect every relationship in my life. Because I'm called to love fervently. And it will help me to overlook hurts. But not only that, love sacrifices. We see that in verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Now you say, that's interesting. There were lots of good pictures that, that Peter could have used of what love looks like. And he says, be hospitable. So what does that mean? We're supposed to have somebody over to the house. Okay. Why did he use that example? Well, there's a couple of reasons why. To be hospitable, you have to understand what was taking place in their circumstances, in their culture. Oftentimes, people, if they turned to follow Jesus Christ, they became outcasts among their family. Oftentimes, they would lose their job, lose their source of income. They would lose everything. And guess what Peter was challenging those around them to do? To reach out that, to that person who had nothing to give in return, but to take them in and to provide for them. Sacrificial love. They also had people that were traveling around as the church was beginning to grow and were working with these infant and young churches to help them. And, and those people would come to their town or vid, village or city and they would be taken in by some of the people there and they would be provided for sacrificially. You see, real love is sacrificial. It goes back to what love is and isn't. Love isn't what can I get, love is what I can give. It's not for my benefit, it's for the benefit of the person I'm loving. And those people would, would sacrifice and oftentimes they didn't have a lot, but they gave everything they had to help provide for the needs of others. And it hurt. It was not easy. But they were willing to do it as they put others first. And that's what we are called to do. We are called to sacrifice in our love. Unconditional love. It's not based upon the actions of the person I'm loving. It's based upon God's love for me. And I am a reflection of that love. And it is so important that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, now abides faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Jesus Himself said in John 13, 35, by this will all know that you are My disciples if you have love for one another. How were they to be recognized as Jesus' followers? By church attendance? No, I'm glad you're here today. Bible encourages us to meet together. But no. They're to be recognized by their love. That's what we're called to do. Unfortunately, I think sometimes that we get things mixed up and we are more concerned about our rights than we are about our love. We're more concerned about our benefits than our love. 
And God says that we need to love one another. It's a priority. And Peter reminds us that we don't know the time we have left. The urgency of the situation should cause us to love even more. So he gives a third here in verses 10 and 11. The importance of serving, the urgency of praying, the urgency of loving, but the urgency of serving. Verses 10 and 11 says this, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Serving one another. Praying diligently, loving fervently, serving selflessly. As I was reading and some background, I, I came across a story that was really a, a cool story about a statue of Jesus. And the statue of Jesus, and we have a picture here, the statue of Jesus had no hands. And it was fascinating talking about serving, reading about serving, the importance of, and, and below the statue is this sign that says, he has no hands, but your, or I, excuse me, Jesus speaking, I have no hands, but yours. <laughs> That's a great illustration, isn't it? We're the hands of Jesus, right? We're his feet, we're his hands. And so I was like, oh, boy, that was just a real brief thing. So I'm going to look up another example of it. Another, see if I can find out more about the story. Well, as I, as I looked more and more, and of course everything on the internet's true, but it was amazing there were many truths about this story. I mean, in one story it was England and World War II and the Germans were bombing it and a big, and a big timber from a building came down and broke off the hands. In another one it was a small town in Germany that was, that was destroyed or that Parts of it were destroyed, and the statue was, was almost completely destroyed, but they were able to put it all together except for the hands. Another one, it was a town in France, and then it was vandals in a church in San Diego, California in 1980, and I mean, just, oh boy. But I'm stubborn, I'm still going to use the illustration. So wherever that picture is, it was really cool, but whatever the story is, the teaching is important. God, the powerful creator, all-powerful creator of the universe, has chosen to spread his kingdom through us. We are his hands and his feet. God has called us to serve, to serve one another, to serve our neighbor, And he uses what we talk about as spiritual gifts. And if you haven't been in the church much, this may be a new term to you, but if you've been around the church, you've probably heard this term, spiritual gifts. What are spiritual gifts? Well, in, it, in its simplest form, they're a special endowment or a gift that God has given you to serve Him. Now, people... Christian, non-Christian have talents, abilities, passions. 
But God, if you're a follower of God, God has in a special way equipped you even more to serve Him through what we call these spiritual gifts. And in these verses here, in verses 10 and 11, we see some lessons that we can learn about gifts. The first one is this. Every Christian has a spiritual gift. Peter was writing to a group of Christians. And he says there, as each one has received a gift. It wasn't a question on whether you received a gift or not. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has equipped you to serve. Each one has received a gift. But number two, we're to use our gift to help others. Minister it to one another. He continues there there in verse 10. Oftentimes, we want to use our gift so that people can appreciate us. Oh, man, you did a great job with that. Great job. Thank you, thank you. But it's not for our edification. It's to help other people. And the third one, and this one may be one of the hard, they're all hard. But third, all gifts are helpful says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. You say, what? That doesn't seem to be talking about that. Whatever my gift, I use it for God's glory, but it all is beneficial. He basically looks at the two main divisions of gifts, the speaking gifts and the serving gifts. But whatever your gift is, you're using it for God's glory and to help others. But oftentimes, we we can get the idea that some gifts are more important than others. And and maybe we can even think, you know, God made a mistake when He gave me the gifts He gave me because, you know, I'd much rather have that gift. But I'm stuck with this one. I'm not that important. You see it on sports teams all the time. Football, for example, the quarterback. If you have a good quarterback, you'll win. If you have a bad quarterback, the draft comes next year and maybe you'll find a good quarterback. But guess what happens? That offensive guard that never gets interviewed, that very few people even know their name, misses their block, and the quarterback who can do everything is tackled by the defensive tackle and unable to make that pass downfield for the touchdown. Or vice versa, the the guard does his job, and the quarterback has time to make the play, and their team wins. But we say, you know, my, my job isn't that important. It was interesting, I was, I was reading some, some about gifts and the importance of serving in gifts, and, and, and I came across this story, and, and, and I had to read it twice, because it, it's sort of fascinating. In 1981, Ronald Reagan, anybody know Ronald Reagan? Okay, maybe not personally, but you've heard the name, right? So, he, he was sh- shot, and there was a period of time as he was recovering that he couldn't fulfill his duties as the president. 
And if you ask pretty much any American, they would say, who is the most important person in the world? It would be the current president of the United States, whoever that would be at that time when the question was asked. And so Ronald Reagan at that time, the most important person in the world. But, but he was out of commission. And guess what? Things went on pretty well. I mean, I'm sure there were a few little glitches that we never, as just the common people, knew about, but, but others stepped up and, and the government continued on and things continued to work. Just a, a, a few weeks after Ronald Reagan was shot, the Philadelphia garbage workers went on strike. Do you remember the stink that that brought up? Seeing if you're paying attention there. You should have seen some of the words that were written in the newspaper. Ronald Reagan out of commission. Things are going along just fine. The garbage workers in Philadelphia on strike. The whole city is falling apart. So you have to ask yourself the question. Who was more important? Ronald Reagan? Or the garbage workers of Philadelphia? I guarantee you there were a lot of people in Philadelphia that would have voted the garbage workers in Philadelphia were much more important than Ronald Reagan. We all have our job. And we're all called to do it. And God has equipped us to do that job by giving us, yes, passions and abilities and experience, but also spiritual gifts. To use for the benefit of others and for the glory of God. He ends that verse by saying, so that God will receive all the glory, that all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The time is urgent. We don't know how much time we have left. But we know that time is urgent. And so as we leave, I'd like you to remember this. The time is urgent when we pray diligently, love fervently, and serve selflessly. God is glorified and others are impacted. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you as Almighty God have chosen to work through us. Lord, we thank you for forgiveness we can have through Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope of salvation and eternal life that that brings. A sure hope. We can be confident of our eternal destiny through your sacrifice. But Lord, as we recognize the urgency of the message that we have, the urgency that we have as your followers Lord, help us to be diligent in our prayers, help us to be fervent in our love, and help us to serve selflessly. Lord, we thank you for your grace, and Lord, we give you our lives in Jesus' name. Amen.